To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch buck? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So this week on the podcast, I have on Mike Glover. I really enjoyed this conversation with Mike. He's um, he he's former special forces military guy, and then now he owns and operates Fieldcraft Survival, um, operates his own podcast, and, and then also will be on the lookout for him on the Discovery Channel. So he's got a a bunch of projects in the works, and, and for good reason. Um, he he's real intelligent and articulate, and uh, just just great at conversation and. You know, his company takes such a, a modern approach to survival, and, and I think it's a, a great angle at it. And so, you know, we start talking about rigs and being mobile, and um, the, the military just trains these guys to, to be, you know, both physically fit but, but mentally fit. And, and, and Mike is that guy that, that's really introspective, and, and he's got a clear head moving forward, and he just brings the, this mental toughness and this, this attitude about him with everything he does in life. So he's just a great guy. I really enjoyed the conversation, and, and I know you guys will too. Uh, sponsor for today's show is Six Hour Optics. Uh, Six Hour Optics, um, you guys know that I'm a huge fan of their rangefinders. Um, I just think they're, they're the, the best on the market. Um, I love how you can get an app that'll get ballistic data to your phone and, and me being a bow guy, um, they're equally as, as, as good for, for archery as they'll do angle incline, decline. Um, they'll do, um, light and dark targets. It's a real accurate reading, a powerful laser. You can do last target priority to be able to shoot through grass. So they just make a great product. And, and this year they're coming out with range finding binoculars and I can't wait to try these. I've never had a range finder in my binoculars. Um, but I just think it eliminates a step. You can, you know, you can see so clearly through your binos. I've always had the, the two step program where I have my binos and my range finder, but, um, I'm excited to try these binos out. Uh, they they really have high-end glass. I use their their binos and their spotting scope this year, and um, they they're really uh, competing in that that market space with their high-quality optics. But they offer it for um, you know a mid-range price. So I've been really impressed with their optics using it this year. But they're a great company, and I want to thank those guys for sponsoring the podcast, uh, Six Hour. And with that, over there at Eastman's, um, yeah, I think we're pretty much finished up with the show season. I didn't draw any of those expo tags I put in for, but uh, I sure had a good time going to those shows. Had a good time running into to a lot of our listeners and, and hearing their stories and, and uh, talking with some of these sponsors and, and meeting kind of the, the people behind the brands. Um, so it's been really fun and, and uh, eye-opening for me. You know, I've never been to one of these shows. So to be able to go to a couple of these, get some real quality recordings, um, I just had a great time. And I, I love these live recordings. So it's it's nice to be sitting on these. We, you know, this is a great podcast we're releasing to you guys today. But we just got some great ones coming up too. Um, I think next week is um, 
We're going to have uh, Ryan Lampers back on. He came over to the house. Re- we recorded a, a great one on on coos deer and just improving your bow hunting game. I, I think it's the the coolest hunt that you've never done. And so uh, we dive into that. It's just a great podcast. So we got some great ones coming up. Uh, great insight, great information, and. And all the while, um, yeah, I'm just in the middle of tag season right now. This is so fun to play with all the possibilities, all the hunts next year and, and uh, trying to figure out what I can actually draw. You know, I, I'm always I'm looking into the future and I'm getting points and I put in for some of these once in a lifetime. But really, I'm looking for those tags that I can draw every year. And so I'm really trying to decide between uh, Wyoming and Colorado this year as they open on nearly the same date for uh, high country mule deer. I'm talking. And so, um, gosh, I'm just really trying to figure out which state I want to go or if I want to try to do both of them back to back or, um, you know, you just don't want to be left without a tag once the, the draws come out. And I've got some, some backup plans, but gosh, I really want to draw one of those tags. And so, you know, with the point creep and odds and, um, you, you just want to play it right and you get one chance at it. But I love diving into these units, uh, looking at, at hunting elk in a couple different states next year and, and mule deer. And I, I love diving in and, and, and looking at the topography and the, the odds and success rates. I got so many numbers and, and odds spinning around my head right now. I talked to my buddies, you know, that I'll be applying with, uh, for hunts with, you know, and you just start spitting all these statistics that are just stuck in my brain right now, but it's really fun to play with the possibilities. So tag season's upon us. I haven't drawn anything yet, um, but I got my name in quite a few hats and, and, uh, going to have, uh, uh, quite a few other tags that I'm putting in for. So it's fun. It's, it's tag season right now. Also just shooting like a madman, trying to be the best I can with my bow. I got that New Zealand hunt coming up, so I'm super excited for that. And uh, just trying to keep these legs in shape and, and working hard every day towards my goals uh, of arrowing trophy critters. So I uh, just can't wait. It's going to be a fun year. And I, I know you guys are working hard and doing all your map research and putting in for tags as well and trying to trying to figure out your hunts for the, for the fall. So um, I, I wish you guys good luck and uh, good planning and a good 2019 season. So, well, let's get this thing started. This is a great conversation between uh, me and Mike Glover. Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. Hey, good morning, Mike. Good morning. How's it going today? Hold on, let me uh, transfer you to my, my ear pods. Or... One second. Yep. Okay, you got me now? Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Awesome. How's the audio coming through? Yeah, pretty good. A little delay there when you first switched over, but I think it's crisp now. Um, give me a test real quick. Okay. Hello, this is Mike from Pilgrass Survival. Perfect. Yeah, we're sitting good. Let me just um, check, and yep, we're recording. So yeah, I think we're good to go. I think we'll get right into it, Mike. Awesome. Sounds yeah. good. Okay, well, yeah, you've had a busy year, huh? Oh, man. I literally just got back from uh, Montana, the, or the Canadian border, last night, and uh, it's 7 in the morning here, and it just and I'm about to go to work right after this, so it's nonstop. Oh boy, I'd say, yeah. Didn't leave yourself much time to recover. You're right back at it. No, I'll recover when I'm when I'm dead and gone, I guess. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> no time. Uh, Montana, the Canadian border, um, up there off roading. Yeah, yeah. I did a I did a trip called the Go Rig Challenge, where uh, I came up with a concept a few months ago, where I decided to um, 
you know, I always talk about survival and bug outs and, you know, typically that depending on who you are and your capability, that, that really, um, and the region of the United States you're in, that really depends. Um, and it's, it's variable. And so when I wanted to do this, I was like, well, you know, realistically, if you wanted to bug out and you wanted to hit one of the borders and you had to do it on your own, how are you going to do it? And, you know, from Prescott, Arizona to the Canadian border in a town called Sweetgrass, which is the last town before you cross over, is about 1,400 miles. And then it, it kind of occurred to me like, hey, if, you know, the electricity went out or it was just a catastrophe and you're fighting for resources, it would be a struggle. And so I wanted to line out all the things it would take to actually make that trip, including fuel consumption. And I decided to do the trip self-sustained. So no support, no gas stations, uh, no pit stops, except for sleeping, um, no hotels, no lodging, no comforts, nothing. And so that was the, that we built out a rig, uh, which was really, really, uh, de- we determined it was my truck because that's the only thing that can carry the payload and the fuel. I loaded a, 110 gallons of fuel at about 6.3 pounds per gallon and then made the trip, uh, 1400 miles. And, and then, uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty interesting. Man, to say that's, the least. yeah, that's wild. Um, good for you. I love how you put, uh, you put it into action. It isn't just theories and, and, and thoughts behind it that, that you actually travel from Arizona all the way up to Montana. And, and it's wild. I can relate so much just because I'm in Montana here and just got back from a trip down on the Arizona border down there. Now, I did oh, wow. stop at gas stations along the way, but I'm the same way as no comforts. You know, I, I live out of my truck and then live in the desert and then went on a backcountry hunt down there hunting your guys' uh, coos deer down there. Um, oh, so really cool. Yeah, so I can I can really relate to you the fourteen hundred miles, and I also did it solo. I had some buddies meet me down there and kind of join in on the hunt and help glass and things. But you know, the whole trip back and forth was solo. Um, it, it's a lot of miles, boy. You really got to keep your focus uh, when you're when you're solo like that. I think the mind can only pay attention for so long, and, and once you start to get into that gray area i think it's more dangerous than driving intoxicated or anything when you're when you're really tired and it seems like you know you keep your eyes open and there's no way i'm ever gonna fall asleep but the lines start to blur or your mind almost tries to to fall asleep on your clicks off as you're trying to keep your eyes open did you find that as you were traveling oh yeah yeah absolutely especially especially that region those region regions of the United States where it's really remote and you don't have a lot to look at. And, uh, it kind of just sets you up for sleep. It's almost like by design, it's, it's made for sleep. And so, yeah, definitely sleep deprivation is a huge, huge problem. And we even talk about it in survival because, you know, you're not, when you have to, you know, preserve those calories and you have to be smarter about how you uh, work versus how you rest, um, you're going to have to do a lot of resting. And so, yeah, it was challenging. And one thing, one thing I didn't realize is, you know, and I, and I, I kind of knew it because I, I've, I've been in Texas and uh, more remote places, but this is really the first time that I've actually spent a lot of time in Montana and everybody that up there had those reserve fuel tanks, those in truck bed reserve fuel tanks for the most part, like a lot of people did. And it makes sense now because 
uh, in that part, especially northern Montana, I mean, you can go hundreds of miles and hours without seeing any kind of gas stations. And if a big storm went through there, which one did on the way up there, then it's it's real easy for infrastructure to shut down on you. And then you have only what, what you got, you know, whether it's in your fuel tank or in the back of your truck bed. Man, that makes a lot of sense. That's something that I need to invest in, you know, hunting all these remote locations. You know, a lot of times I'm backpacking, but a lot of times I'm living out of my rig, which is exactly what you're practicing, you know, when you're going on these trips. And and that fuel, like you can't go anywhere without fuel and and you you're always trying to manage it. And I, you know, I carry extra fuel cans with me to to fill up my truck, but in that same breath those those in truck um, you know, storage uh, compartments that they build that'll sit like right against your cab or sit along the side of your truck bed. Boy, that could give you 20 or even 50 gallons and just makes you more self-sustained out there and don't have to travel back and forth for gas. So, um, that's pretty cool. I need to look into those more. They're not that expensive. And also, for for like an emergency like what you're talking about and whether that's human caused or natural disaster you you may have to rely upon you know just what you have in your own skills and in your own resources to be able to get to somewhere like you know the canadian border from arizona like you did yeah you know i i it's interesting but i tell people that especially when they look at survival uh, i've almost come to the conclusion that uh it starts with fuel because you imagine anything happens, whether it's a natural man-made disaster or natural that turns into a man-made, anything that happens, you'll, you're going to need mobility. You're going to need your vehicle to be able to uh, acquire resources, collect your family potentially, or even just get home. And so what I tell people is if they're listening to this podcast, just look at their uh, fuel gauge. If they have a half a tank um, and they have – you know, a, a, a decent fuel, economically fuel, uh, uh, fuel vehicle, whatever they have, that's what they have. And they have no more. And then to consider that, um, those fuel tanks, I, I use a 75 gallon transfer flow, uh, which is the name of the company, but it, it's, it's only 18 inches wide, but it goes in your truck bed. And I could travel 2000 miles on one tank of gas between the 75 gallon tank and then the, uh, 35 gallon tank I have on board and it ties into my fuel tank. So I, I don't, I just need to fill it up, you know, in the, in the top cap. I don't need to pull it off and, and pump it uh, manually. I just, you know, it's fire and forget. And so 2000 miles I can go. And the, the peace of mind it gives you in remote, more remote areas uh, of the country is one thing, but then the contingency side of survival the fact that if something happens, you know, I have the ability to move around. Uh, not a lot of people carry or store fuel at their house, and not a lot of people have, you know, those kind of resources on hand. So it's just something to look at as far as if you're taking preparing or contingency survival uh, serious, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So it ties in conjunction that transfer go right into your regular gas tank. So. You, you just fill it up, and then um, you don't have to transfer gas like you were saying. That's really handy. Yeah, it's it's cool because it's, you know, what it does is it ties into your existing fuel tank, and so it sits in the truck bed, and it, they give you a gauge. It's called a Trax 3 gauge, and what happens is it gives you a gauge of your primary or your main fuel tank, 
and then it gives you a gauge of the auxiliary. And as your tank gets low, your main gets low, it turns on a pump, and then it pumps and fills up your main as you go. So you'll just see both of the lines going down slower, but you know, instead of uh, a couple hundred miles you get on a conventional tank, I, I got 2,000 miles on one tank of gas. Man, that's crazy. Yeah, and it's um, it, it's really useful for for preparation and mobility, like you talk about. Something that I that I don't think often on. But you know, the other the other thing is being a backcountry hunter. Um, man, oh man, it just makes you so more effective and efficient. Like I hunt spots. Like I, gas is so important out there, and a situation can get serious real quick. You know, we're in the most remote spots of the lower 48, uh, you know, Alaska and, and even different places, but you're in such remote spots that if you run out of gas, you know, a lot of times there's no cell phone signal. Maybe you don't have a satellite phone with you, but you could be walking for miles, and a lot of these places – you know, you, you lay out a plan, but conditions change, you know, like you say, you have a big storm come in, lays down a bunch of snow or like one of the spots I hunt, it muds up every time you get rain. And it's a, an awesome hunting location is there's a, a bunch of giant six point bulls ripping around, but it, it's one of the more remote spots in Montana. And when it rains, it changes everything. It turns to this clay mud that just wants to stick to your tires. And a lot of times you just have to stay put even in a four-wheel drive even with chains it'll just bury your truck up to the axle so a lot of times you have to stay put um but you know you may only have the resources to stay put for a handful of days and eventually you got to try to get out of country and to get out of country i mean you just burn the gas you're spinning your tires at 40 miles an hour and you're trying to drift and keep it straight on the road to get out but you'll burn through a whole tank of gas you know in a, in a matter of 50 miles or 40 miles and you might be a hundred miles back and so it it just it bears so much weight and it's so important to have enough fuel and boy that that tank just makes it easy to have that and have it on hand and, and i just think it's so important to be prepared for the challenges that you're going to face or like on these backcountry hunts is is not getting yourself stuck out there and then getting in a really bad situation yeah it's just that peace of mind like you said i mean if if the worst case scenario happens, you essentially have shelter. I mean, that vehicle is your shelter. And now you have not only shelter, but you have warmth. You know, you, if you get stuck in the wintertime and, you know, it's a situation where you can't, you can't get away. You could let that truck run. You imagine a, a 110 gallon uh, fuel tank. You could let that truck run for a month and it's not going anywhere. You could, you could probably, you know, hold out um, and, you know, go long before, um, you, you actually, something happens with you, uh, in your body because of food or lack of food. Um, you, you know, you have water on uh, a water source available with the snow. And so if you had to, you could wait a couple days, but you could, you would have a heater and you'd have the shelter of that vehicle just to run on its own. And so that's a, that's always something to think about because a lot of people don't consider their vehicle as a shelter, as a platform. In fact, some survival guides tell you, uh, if you're stuck in the snow, um, to abandon your vehicle, depending on the circumstances. But that consideration could be if you have, uh, if you don't have any fuel on board, because if, if the car is not running, you're literally just in a mildly insulated uh, steel shell. But if it's running and you have fuel on board for an extended period of time, like I said, it could probably run for weeks. I mean, that's 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 uh, the reality of that much fuel on board. 
then you would never abandon it until, you know, you got to a situation where the weather changed and you can get out of there on foot. Oh, you're so right. I mean, um, you know, to the, these rigs, I mean, to be able to go hunt these remote places, like I'm hunting places in the middle of winter, well, like you did in Montana, you know, where a lot of times it can be below zero and, and you're going out and, and braving the conditions and you're hunting hard. But boy, to have that that truck or that shelter, or that mobile home that you can come back and live in, um, yeah, it's just peace of mind out there. And it is. It's the best survival tool we have, like you say, as long as we have gas and also like when we're when we're going on these hunts, it's um it's in, it's important to be totally prepared in your vehicle, especially if you're using that to travel around. So, you know, and I, I'm sure you have your rigs totally set up, and that's kind of why I want to get into it. But I know for my vehicle, you know, also if you can't start your vehicle, you can't then use the gas. And so, you know, not only do you have your battery and and you're conscientious about not running the power out of that, but you also need to have a backup power source to be able to jump your rig and case your battery does go dead or like i've got you know a tire patch kit and i'm familiar with it and like hunting alaska in the hall road we're living out of our vehicles there and then traveling per day hunting these caribou around but you know i think up there i patched three or four tires last year and then i had an elk hunt this year where i patched two tires and so having that patch kit like i always have my spare but um you know having that patch kit so i can fix a fix a hole you know it, it saves me you know, a day or two of hunting from having to go run and find a tire store, find one that's open. And so I, I just think it's so important to be totally prepared in your rig like that. What are some of the things that, that you carry in your rig that you think are unconventional, but also they keep you prepared for the conditions? Yeah, I think, um, you know, the, I'm a big proponent of, of tire repair kits, like as as a separate piece of kit. Like a lot of times some people take a patch kit, for example, and they just throw it inside their tool bag or inside their, their go bag. But uh, I would really concentrate my efforts specifically on the tire. So I'd have the ability to plug and patch. Um, you know, I run 37 by 12 and a half on my uh, Dodge diesel truck. Um, because it has a, you know, has a Baja lift on it. It's a, it, it was originally built as a Baja chase truck. So it's a, it's a quarter ton truck and it's, it's really big, really heavy. Um, so I need, um, uh, a pretty robust patch kit to be able to patch those tires. And you, you do have the danger with that much sidewall and puncturing the sidewall and then not having, uh, the ability to patch it. So I always care, carry a full size spare. And so full size spare patch kit, when you patch a uh, tire, you know, a can of fix a flat would work on most, uh, you know, SUVs and small uh, vehicles, but it's not going to work on a big size truck. You're just not going to get enough air. And then depending on your location, you know, people don't understand the way fix a flat works is it's not just a can of air. It's a, it's a can of chemicals that as the tire rotates or it shakes inside the tire, it expands. So what you do is, you know, if you get a flat and the rim is on the ground. You just want enough fix a flat to get the rim off the ground where you can't, where you won't cause damage to the wheel. And then as you move with speed, it generates more um, air through a chemical process and inflates the tire just enough to get you to the next line of care, which would be obviously a tire repair shop or, you know, a parking lot or a field somewhere that's just a little bit more 
um, user-friendly to repair as opposed to the side of the trail. So that's not going to work. So I always recommend people carrying an either a portable on uh, onboard air compressor, or I like I have a dual air compressor made by ARB that sits under the hood that has a reservoir tank underneath the vehicle uh, that just gives a little bit more PSI. So you could run air tools, but also um, inflate in only a couple minutes, a large 37 inch tire or a large tire period. Um, something else, like you said about power, a lot of people neglect power because they think, you know, the battery that's in there, everything works. So it's good. Batteries, as you know, come in Montana, get finicky, um, depending on the, the weather change. And so if you let a, if you let a standard 12 volt battery sit for too long, um, it won't turn over because you'll lo- lose just enough voltage where it doesn't have enough power to kick on, uh, kick the starter. And so either having the ability to warm your batteries, to tenderize your batteries, uh, utilizing some kind of, uh, um, electric component or like I have, uh, which is, uh, the, the far, the far right of the, uh, the setup is having a dual battery system. So I have a, you know, I have my standard battery under my vehicle, uh, vehicle's hood. It runs cables to the truck bed and in the truck bed, I have a spare battery that's charged by the alternator. And as this is charged, this, this spare battery can power all my accessories in the back of the truck bed where I usually sleep. Um, so it's electric heater, it's a portable fridge, it's all kinds of accessories. And that's obviously rejuvenated uh, as I drive. The great thing is I have a battery in the back of the truck bed that if the main goes, I have that spare. Um, and then the last thing, because I always like have four la- layers deep of this, the last thing I have is a 200-watt solar panel. And this 200-watt solar panel, it's made by a company called Off-Grid Trek. It's a Canadian company. But this 200-watt solar panel, you could actually throw it out, and it has an accessory cable that hooks up to battery terminals, so a positive and negative, and you could literally trickle charge uh, your battery in the, in this, in the uh, sunshine just in case you lose uh, enough voltage. You could top it off using the sun. So I know that's a lot of levels, but you, you know when you're out there in the backcountry or on a in a situation that uh, requires you to survive, you don't want to take any chances. Yeah, man, that's wild. You have the ultimate rig set up. Yeah, that's um, that's cool to hear. You make a really good point about the compressor. I forgot to mention that. Yeah, that you have to have some sort of mobile compressor to be able to fill up those tires. But yeah, you got that rig set up. You're ready for adventures <laughs> in that thing, huh? Yeah. What's what? What I think is cool is. And I always tell people this is when you plan, whether it's tactics, whether it's home defense, self-defense, you always plan for the worst case scenario. It's that, you know, I I tell police officers when I train them like SWAT teams and stuff, I say, hey, you're not training uh, to fight against or combat against the standard uh, protocol, the standard thing that you guys see, you know, the low level thug on the streets. You're not training for that. That's easy. You're training for a guy like me with capability that has technical skills and tactical skills, knows how to shoot, move, and communicate. So in survival, you would never train. You you would never look out the window and go, you know, it's a mild, uh, you know, rainy, overcast day. So I'm going to get everything set up for that weather. 
you would you would you know you would look at it and go hey what's the worst thing that happens around here if it's a hurricane or tornado you would plan for that worst case scenario and then the convenience is everything in between reasonable and then the worst case you're prepared for just by default because you've you've had that mindset of I'm going to be prepared for the worst case so when I go hunting now you know I live in Williamson Valley which is a uh, pretty remote valley I mean you can get hundreds of miles from here uh, to Vegas of just remote uh, mountainous terrain at about 5,000 feet and so you you can end up in some bad situations well I have that truck and now my truck which is my shelter my contingency plan for survival it's capable no matter where it goes and it didn't cost me a lot of money I mean a lot of the stuff I did on my own um, from Home Depot and I you know we teach people that on our our IGTV on the Philcraft Survivalist page, but it's just, it's, it's realistic stuff that people could do and, and be prepared for. Man, that's really cool. So uh, guys can find that on your show as you walk through how to do it yourself and set up a survival rig. Yeah, I, I documented the whole, what I, so I did a few things. One, I documented and partitioned the buildup of the go rig. It's called the go rig challenge. And uh, I did that on IGTV on at Philcraft Survival, which is our, our main uh, Instagram page. And then I did a few podcasts. I did a podcast prior when we were talking about the concepts. And then I did a podcast right uh, after I was finished on the Canadian border. And then I'm going to do another podcast when we flush out kind of some things that we identified as the problem. And then um, we're going to resource, obviously, some of the solutions. And then also... This weekend, I'm going to stitch together all the video, which is a lot of video, um, and and put it on YouTube. So there'll be multiple resources for whatever flavor people want. Man, how neat! Yeah, and I I really like your your mindset on preparation too. Like your your mindset um, preparing for the worst case scenario or when things go wrong. And you're right; everything else falls in between that. And I I liked how. Um, you were able to relate that to, um, you know, to to like police officers and and uh, to some of the military. Where, but but also it relates so much to to hunting. You know, we're you know we set these goals out and we prepare all year long for them and and we set out on these adventure hunts and go out and then we push ourselves both mentally and physically to the brink. But it's it's not preparing for when everything goes right and everything goes smooth and you hike into your first camp location and you find a giant buck and then run an, uh, run an arrow through him on the, on the second day of the hunt. You're not preparing for those situations. You're preparing for the, the worst case situations. And it seems like there's, there's always hurdles and challenges that come up and, and backcountry hunting, you know, like we started the conversation, like sleep deprived, you know, it, it, you have to prepare for being sleep deprived, deprived because on these hunts you're going to be grinding so hard trying to cover a lot of miles and so you know all of a sudden you're you're knocked down by that and now all of a sudden you get you know a storm that rolls in or weather that rolls in but it it's always being prepared for this worst case scenario when you're packing all your gear you know making sure you have the right stuff to be able to survive on your own um but i i just really like that mindset of always preparing for the worst case scenario and i think if you do that then you're you're ready for anything that you come across yeah and i don't know if we talked about this the last time i might have mentioned it but you know in special operations we always set up every plan with a contingency plan we actually have an acronym called pace it's called uh 
uh, primary alternate contingency and emergency. So it's an acronym. And PACE is your primary plan is whatever the plan is. And then you have to set out your contingency plans. So, you you know, if, if your primary plan is, you know, uh, your cell phone, because you might have reception, uh, that's your primary. Well, your alternate would be maybe it's satellite. And then your contingency for communications, maybe it's RF, right? so just the radio frequencies and using your handheld radios. And then maybe your emergency is no comms at all. Maybe it's a window of time where if your loved ones don't hear from you by 6 o'clock that evening um, via those first three means of communications, that means something's wrong and they need to contact somebody. So you always have an out. And uh, I think I think that's important in setting up uh contingencies is because if you contingency based plan things, they're always going to be set up for success when things go wrong, which often obviously in hunting and in operations uh, and even in survival, they, they often do. Yeah. Um, the, the best laid plans seem to always change. You know, there's, there's it's, um, you know, you go on these hunts and you have this plan laid out and you prepare it all season and then you get there and then there's no bucks in where you're at. So you got to you got to change and you got to move your camping location and change around or you get in there and maybe the stocking conditions are really noisy. And so then you've got to figure out a way to be quiet or be able to ambush, you know, your, the animal that you're after or you just you're always having to change your plans on the fly. And so I love that pace where you kind of go through all your plans and all your contingencies. And so therefore you can kind of lay out a plan for for when these things change. Go, OK, if the weather hits, this is what I'm going to do. If I can't find bucks and I have to move this is where I'm going to move to. And I always talk about having, you know, as far as a plan on a hunt, you know, I have a plan and then a backup plan and then a C plan and a D plan. And when you've already laid out these plans, it's easier to execute on the fly. It seems like when you're in the moment and you're caught by surprise and you haven't thought about these things, you know, that's where it's difficult to come out, come up with a, a good plan that you have confidence in. But if you've taken the time to really think through these and think through what can go wrong and, and what you might have to do different, you're, you're just so much you're, you're so much more well prepared for the situation, it seems. Yeah, and you hit, you hit the nail on the head. I, I think that's the I think the overall point is uh, fluidity. The overall point is fluidity, because if you if you're prepared uh, for the worst case scenario mentally, that's one thing. But if if you've actually lined out some kind of service and support, as we would call it in the military, which means um Let's say your your primary means of, of getting water is the Nalgene bottle or the bottles that you have retained on your, your pack. Well, if your alternate is a uh, life straw and, and resourcing water from a stream and you don't have that equipment, then, then it's, not a, it's not a realistic contingency plan because you can go, oh, I'm out of water. Well, I'll just go to that life straw. And then you go, oh, well, I don't have a life straw. It's like, oh, well, I forgot to pack that out. So part of the planning process is when you line out these pace plans for these important things like shelter, water, you know, food, uh, emergency plans, then you're literally laying out the plans of service and support that lend themselves to, you know, uh, benefiting you when things go wrong. So there's not a lot of lull time and you're not caught off guard or by surprise because, you, you know, you know, as well as I know, in, in some of these situations, 
where a storm rolls in, for example, or, you know, uh, you know, you get a quick weather, weather change or just things happen uh, in the environment that you're in. If you don't have that backup plan ready immediately and it, and it lulls that every second on the clock is potentially se- valuable seconds that you're not going to get back and that could make the situation more dangerous. So I think it's just overall important to outline a pace plan and the planning process as opposed to, like you said, you know, you're out there and then you and then you want to do something or you want to change a plan. And then you're like, oh, well, now I'm in a, a bad situation because now I have to make it up as I go. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, Mike. Yeah, I just um, having that plan in your head, it, it just, uh, you know, the, the mental game is such a big part of it. It's a big part of uh, survival, a big part of, uh, of, of military first responders, whatever it is, like your your mental game is so important wrapping your head around it. But having that plan seems to put your mind more at ease than than when you're on the fly like that, you know, when I'm on the fly, I, I'm not quite thinking crystal clear where when I'm away from that situation, I can kind of put myself in that place and, and, and think there and come up with solutions and kind of think through them a little bit more clear than I can on the fly like you're saying. And, and then you're wasting precious seconds and, and sometimes – you know, if if you're soaking wet, like to have that pace or that that plan for that contingency. Now my clothing is wet. I need to get a fire going. Hey, I have my fire started because I've I've thought about this. I've got everything in my kit, or you know, maybe my lighter got wet and that was my you know my primary. So then I moved to my secondary, but I've got my waterproof matches with my fire starter. I'm good. I'm soaking wet. Now I need to work on this fire. So yeah, I just I love that that mindset of being prepared, whether it's a backcountry hunter or anything you're doing in life or anything you want to accomplish really yeah and it, it affords you the the peace of mind I, I, a lot of people it's it's weird but when i started getting into survival a lot of people associated survival with i mean and they still do with being a prepper and somehow being paranoid and what i realized uh, in doing this for an extended period of time is that when you're more prepared because you flushed out all the courses of action that might go wrong. And then you've come up with uh, rational, intelligent plans to, to uh, counter that. Then you have a sense of security. You have a, a realistic uh, sense of security and there's no paranoia and there's no insecurity. So when you're prepared, you're confident and then you can concentrate your efforts on the mission or the objective or the hunt. Um, as opposed to a lot of people who aren't confident and you ask them why they're not confident. They're like, well, I'm unsure about this, unsure about that. Uh, well, if they, you know, concentrated their efforts more on preparation and, you know, whether it's shooting a bow or hiking or the physical fitness aspect, then it all comes together. And then when it culminates in a, in a hunt, for example, um, they have a better experience and they have a more confident experience because they know their capabilities. They've kind of flushed out all these things beforehand. Uh, And I think that's the, that's the key in special operations. I think that's why we were successful and continue to be successful is because it starts with the planning phase. It's not, you know, Hollywood and everybody else um, who, who uh, uh, creates this perception of special operations. You think it's just like, it's magic. It's not. It's it's thorough, contingency-based planning that leads up to uh, great mission success. 
Yeah, and then and then that um, you know the planning and the theorizing and and working your way. I like how you say flush out the the problems and and you kind of work your way through it. And, and then the second thing that goes hand in hand with that is experience. Like you going up to the Montana border, trying out your truck, and you you learn so much from actually being there. And so you said that you have to work through a couple of the issues that you had. It, it seems like in real life that's where you run across some of these things that then you can fix. But it it's confidence and, and arrogance. There's a thin line between them, right? And so confidence is knowing that you're prepared and knowing you have the skills to, to be able to accomplish the objective, where arrogance is almost a false bravado of, of thinking about it and thinking you know how, but not putting it into real practice or not having the experience of being able to, you know, to cross that hurdle or, you know, to fix that issue to be able to accomplish, accomplish your, your objective or your mission. So I, I think it just goes hand hand in hand with experience as well as, as being out there and then, you know, getting across those hurdles and fixing those problems. I, I think that gives you so much confidence to draw from on the next trip or, you know, in the, in the next phase of it. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, confidence is, is, uh, is built based off experience and training. And so, you know, for hunting, there's a whole bunch of things that you could do prior to build your confidence and you know we outlined a couple of them but being technically proficient is a huge you know often neglected element of hunting you know the the small technical tasks that you do uh you know like even even how to carry your bow or how to shoot your bow how to shoot your bow under stress you know how to shoot your gun under stress how to shoot your gun in different weather conditions like you could flush out a whole bunch of subtasks that become very critical to culminate in a hunt and you're only going to get those experiences if you do them. And so what I tell people, if they want to get better at any one thing and, and uh, objectively, like speaking upon things, it's like a culmin culmination of things like a hunt would be a thing. Well, if you want to get better at hunting, you have to break down all the elements of hunting as subtask and then focus your attention on being very proficient at those subtasks. And so a lot of people who want to be great hunters, they go out and they go, I'm just going to crush this. And they and they go out on the hunts, which is one element of it. But they don't f focus on the technical proficiency of the subtasks that's included, like, you know, hiking or bushcraft or uh, actually the technical aspects of shooting a gun or shooting a bow, f even field dressing. I mean, I mean, uh, if 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 you have never field dressed an animal and the first time you do it is on your first, second or third hunt. Then and you haven't done it with somebody else to get the expertise or you haven't talked about it prior or, you know, watched a tutorial prior or laid out your knives and gone over it in your head. Then when you get to the hunt and then you do everything the right way, but you neglect that one subtask, you could botch it. I mean, you could hate your meat. You could do a whole bunch of wrong things uh, that make the overall experience bad. And so what I love about hunting is it's like. It's like missions and special operations because it's so technically and tactically um, involved and which requires you to be really proficient at a lot of things, including uh, what I like the most is the outdoors. And so, you know, it, it, it's an overall experience. But if you want to be good, you have to get out there and do the work. And, and unfortunately, a lot of people nowadays just don't want to do the work. 
Oh, you're so spot on. It's um, yeah. Anything in life that you want to be good at, you have to commit yourself to wholeheartedly. And I love how you talk, how you break it down, hunting as these subtasks, because I I think of it in the same way of almost like um like these pillars that make you a successful hunter. And there there's so many different elements that go into it. And so I try to break them down. I try to break down you know my shooting. And so you know I shoot every day, sometimes twice a day. Now everybody has their shooting routines that work for me. For you know, for me, it's um, it's shooting a lot, and it's it's good execution on my shots, perfect execution, uh, pushing and pulling till the shot breaks. But to take your shooting, then you got to shoot in high stress situations. So you shoot at tournaments, you shoot it with buddies, you shoot at different distances, and then you start shooting from your your knees or different positions. You shoot steep angles. All this preparation that goes into one pillar of being successful is your shooting. Every successful hunt comes down to making a shot under high stress. And and so that's one pillar of it. And the other pillar would be physical fitness, you know, on these backpack hunts or any hunt for that matter. You know, you're pushing your body and, and you're you're putting on miles per day and, and you're exhausting yourself. Like I, doing these extended backpack hunts, they're tougher than any marathon or ultra marathon I've ever run. But I, I train for these and I train for that hunt year round. And I, I make myself get out every single day and I, I trail run a bunch. You know, I, I do a lot of body weight training, you know, to make sure that, that my back's not going to go out on me. And, and I do a lot of stretching to make sure that I've got flexibility so i've got all these subtasks laid in to a subtask that goes into the pillar of being a good successful hunter but i i love to break things down and think about things that way you know another thing is like the mental toughness mental side of things and, and keeping yourself up and positive and pushing hard seeing what's over that next rise going to your b plan and not just giving up because things get tough it's such a huge pillar of being a successful backcountry hunter and mental toughness in any of these things like you say, the confidence has to be earned, and the confidence is earned through preparation, practice, discipline, and hard work, and, and mental toughness. It's not something you can just think about and get. It has to come through experience, and for me, like I get a lot of my mental toughness through these backcountry hunts, but I also get them through training every day. Like It's cold here in Montana, and just like last night, I... I teach kids archery, and so, you know, after archery, I have to get out for my run, and it's 8 o'clock at night, it's dark, it's 20 degrees, and the wind's blowing sideways, but I make myself get out there, and I make myself put one leg in front of the other, and I get my run in every day. Now, is that run going to make the difference between my success or failure next year? No, but doing it every day and making myself do it gets my body ready, and it gets my mind ready, you know, that, and then I can just rely upon my, my mind to carry myself through these hunts that I know I'm mentally tough because I have put in the work, you know, and so each one of these things has to be earned. But I just thought that's such a great way that you that you broke it down because I really think about things that way and those subtasks like that. Yeah, I, I, I think you you actually you actually brought up something that's not even uh, really talked about is this building this mental toughness because there's a you know there's technical skills there's tactical skills. But there's also mental toughness, and um, I'm actually doing a – I'm running a special operations prep course. It starts this evening, actually, and goes to the weekend where I take uh, uh, young men um, that want to be in special operations, and we, we prep them for, for BUDS, for you know special operations selection, for ranger school, oh, and wow. all, these challenging, all these challenging things. And what's cool is uh, 
you know, people ask me most often when they're getting ready for special operations, like, how do I build mental toughness? And, and just like you said, when you build physical toughness, making your body harder and, um, building that endurance in your body by default, you're building kind of the scar tissue that allows you to be more resilient mentally. And so, uh, what's often kind of like a correlation is if you're not physically tough because you're not putting in the work, you're not going to be mentally tough. And what happens is, um, and, and there is a, a correlation, but it's not conclusive because I've seen some of the toughest men on the planet who are physically fit and just their specimens. And then they go out in the wood line and they've never been, you know, spent the night, uh, in the woods, uh, in the dark or they've never been a um, hundred feet from an animal, a wild animal. And so all these variables and all these things is what gets me excited about hunting because it's very difficult. I mean, when I, you know, I write articles on this kind of stuff, but our, we're getting so complacent because we're getting so comfortable and that's kind of like a default of freedom, right? When you're, when you're free, you get more comfortable because you have the freedom, but the, the, the evolution of that is you understand that because you're free and you can be comfortable doesn't mean you can't put in the work. It doesn't mean you, you have to be complacent. It means you just got to get off your butt. Well, a lot of people now just don't want to get off their butt. So, you know, I like hunting because it keeps you in the primal, you know, ancestral mode of where we naturally need to be and kind of gets us outside of our comfort zone. Um, and then allows us to evolve and grow as people. And I, I think it's, it's, fundamentally the most important thing that people could do period uh for beneficial um, you know mindset health and also physical health man you articulate that so well us as humans we're meant to be challenged you know and and um you know when you we're we're also like like to have passion in life like you have for backcountry survival like you're finding for backcountry bow hunting like like I have for backcountry bow hunting you know it it uh it makes me so happy in life to be able to have something that I absolutely love to do that I can put all my effort in and I can I can set these these goals and work hard towards them but but it's you know besides my my family and and my well-being and I I have to make a living but to have this passion that I can grab a hold of and really challenge myself and and that's how we grow as people like you're saying is is to put ourselves in uncomfortable situations and come out on top it builds confidence but, you know, throughout training and through doing these backcountry hunts and challenging myself, you know, it hardens me as a person and, and it makes life easier for me. You know, it when I when I come home and I start working, you know, uh, on, on a construction project or running a crew or I run across problems, it's easier to work my way through them because I put myself in these tough situations and come out on top. And I'm sure you draw a ton from your military experience and special forces and, and uh, putting yourself in, in these challenging situations. But I just think in life, like it, it's so important to find something you're passionate about and then something to really challenge yourself and put everything in. And I think it makes us happy people. I think it eliminates depression and anxiety and uh, it just keeps us focused on a task and, and for me, like it's it's uh it's just something that I that I absolutely love that I'm glad I found in life, something that challenges me and yeah, it gets me off the couch and keeps me training hard and it 
it gives me a leg up on on the the rest of the country i believe and and not everybody but on the majority because you're right we have got so comfortable you know to where People aren't pushing themselves day in, day out. You just turn your water faucet on and you have water, turn your heat up and you have heat. Life has got easier, and so we have to find these challenges to, to, to keep growing as people, I think, and also to find happiness. Yeah, yeah. I think you know we're, in a, we're obviously in a mental health crisis. We're also in a, uh, a physical health crisis. I mean, you know, there's actually statistics that like 39.7% of our population is obese. Uh, 600 million uh, uh, people uh, die per year of heart disease. I mean, I, I mean, 600 people, 600 million people worldwide die. And then, and then you look at uh, the status of our di- diabetes, like type two diabetes, which is onset diabetes. 100 million people just in the United States alone. That's like a, a third of our population are are uh, diagnosed with either onset uh, type two or pre-diabetes, which is is just basically type two diabetes, which uh, can become diagnosed within five years. So all these different things lead to um, these mental health issues and leading up um, to a hunt, all the things that you have to do to get your mind and your body right will help flush out a lot of this waste that we've accumulated. It's a lot of this plaque that we accumulate in life because we're so far away from our natural state. And I think, you know, the, the further we, we get away from our natural state, the more issues we're going to have. I mean, at the, at the cellular level, um, it takes disruption in cells in order to grow cells. And so if you, if you think about that uh, at, at the, the basic level, at the construct of human beings, without disruption, without um, some kind of change and disruption, we won't grow. And so you, you can think about that for mindset. You can think about that as your physical body. I mean, what do you do when you want to be fit? What do you want to do when you want to look great? You go into a gym and you destroy your body and you break it down because you want to build it up. And so, you know, hunting is a gift. And, you know, the the fact that we actually uh, conserve land and conserve uh, animals to be able to control and conserve the population and, and, and still allow us to do this while city centers are growing at their fastest rate rates ever is a gift. And I just don't want to ever lose that, you know? So, uh, you know, I appreciate things that, that you, you do in the hunting community does. Cause you know, you're, you're an avid hunter and you're, you're a conservationist. If it wasn't for guys like you and, you know, other guys like Steve Ranella and Remy Warren and all these uh, different guys advocating for hunting and, and, and that lifestyle, but the conservation, we wouldn't even have the opportunity. So uh, thanks for what you guys do. Oh, absolutely. It is so important and it's so great that, you know, that everybody has this opportunity that that it's, you know, that that being a U.S. citizen gives you the opportunity and doesn't take much money and that we've we we've set aside these public lands and protect them. And we have this place for 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 men in this modern society to go challenge themselves. And and, and there is there's a there's a a tie to our ancestry there's a tie there it it's in our dna the reason you get so excited when you get an opportunity in an animal you know it it's it's because we've been doing it for hundreds of thousands of years and it it meant food and it meant survival and and those those same feelings you know they 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 pulse through our body when we're on these hunts and it also you know it gives me perspective on my life like you you almost have to step away from your life to look at it objectively and so 
you know, along, you know, how you do one thing is how you do everything. And I really believe that. And so with being a good backcountry hunter, I always want, you know, I also want to be the best father I can be, the best husband I can be, the best at my business, the, the best person and friend I can be. But getting away from all this and kind of stepping aside and being on a backcountry hunt gives me time to reflect on how I can be a better father and how I can, I can, I can be a better husband and, and what I can do different. It, it really gives me good perspective in life and good clarity. And so that's another thing I enjoy about backcountry hunting. It's just getting away from the modern life. Life, you know, having to struggle out there and then being able to look at my life and, and see where I want to go and what moves I have to make to get there. Yeah, it's like the natural reboot. Reboot. I always make that the analogy because I'm an '80s kid. I always make the analogy. It's like the uh, blowing in the cartridge of the Nintendo, the Nintendo game that doesn't work. It's like every time, every time you go into nature, it's it's just a natural reset button. Um, because we're, you know, we're not, we're not around nature, uh, often or as much as we want to be, you know, I, I, if I could do it right, I I'd raise my family in an off grid cabin in the middle of Montana. And, and, uh, and maybe that's a, a future goal of mine, but if until then taking the time for myself, um, or taking the time for yourself, for people who are listening is an important aspect. And, you know, I, I think it, it can't be, uh, it can't be overstated. It can't be talked about enough. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, um, we, we just get so caught up in our everyday life and everyday problems that, that sometimes it's, it's tough to separate ourselves from those and really look at them and, and figure out the problems. But it, it really helps me in all facets of my life. You know, you go through, you know, we all have stress in our life, but I know, you know, in my business, when we have problems or issues come up, whether it's, you know, budget or materials, subcontractors, whatever, whatever the case is, it, is I'm able to look at it and it's like, I've dealt with bigger problems as I, as I know, you know, you probably draw a lot from your military experience. Like, you know, I've seen big problems and this isn't one like we'll, we'll get through it. And what I, you know, I just try to make a plan, um, you know, make an intelligent plan, plan, think through it, how I'm going to solve that problem or my actions moving forward. You know, a lot of times it's a mistakes that's been made and all you, you can't sit and dwell on the problem. All you can do is focus on the solution. And so you make a plan, you know, that, that here, here's what I'm going to do. Here's how I'm going to handle it. Here's my first step, second step, third step to completion. You know, this is this is how I'm going to relate this to my clients, and this is how I'm going to work through them. And then I, I don't sit and I don't dwell on this problem or think about it or let that anxiety control me. I make a plan to fix it, and I move forward. So I just take so much that I learn through backcountry hunting, which is all this preparation and, and mental toughness, and then I just apply it to everyday life. And I, I think it's a big reason why you know I'm successful in life too is I, I'm just able to to de- negotiate my way through these these issues and problems that come up for everybody out there. Yeah, I think I think nature gives us kind of a, uh, a a grand perspective of what's important, and so it kind of reprioritizes our first world problems. You know, if uh, I'll, I'll, several different things do that, I've, I've often realized that. War could do that, you know, uh, worldly travel could do that, but also being an avid hunter could do that because, or even farmers and, and ranchers. I, I talked to a, a rancher uh, named Mike that lives in uh, Montana, and we even did an IGTV thing with him for about 35 minutes talking about ranch life and some challenges that he faces in Montana. But just getting that perspective um, on your first world problems uh, allows you to kind of like look 
at your problems and and, and take a new approach because you go, you know, why am I beating myself up? I mean, it's 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 bills or it's it's uh, friends, it's family, it's all these different things that are just these little issues that we make bigger than they really are. But if we have that perspective, you know, from, from backcountry hunting where we understand what difficulty is in life, like what primal difficulty actually is, um, then we have a, a better appreciation and value for what we have in our, in our current lives. You know, I tell people who are complaining about any problems that, you know, it's, they have their first world problems, but it's not the world's problems. Cause you know, if you've been to Africa, like I have and or the middle East, you know, where staples of survival aren't guaranteed where running water isn't guaranteed that's a real problem i mean you wake up in the morning and you don't know if you're going to have enough water to potentially survive that that day or that week that's a that's a real problem waking up and and your instagram has been hacked or your you know your wi-fi is not working that's a first world problem and so you'll get those you'll gain those appreciations and new perspectives uh, and I think backcountry uh, hunting does that really well. Yeah, uh, it, you're right. It puts things into perspective. Yeah, I, I like that so much. Well, Mike, you're such an interesting guy. You've got so much going on. Where can guys catch up to, to everything that you have going? I know you have a couple podcasts out, um, Field Craft Survival and then uh, Modern Mindset 365. Um, how are the podcasts doing? Uh, they're doing really well. I, we actually had a little shakeup uh, yesterday. Um, trying to figure out, we, we couldn't find our podcast in the top category of government and organizations on iTunes. And for some reason there's an error or something, but the episodes, we have like five episodes in the top 50 to 100 in that category, but not the podcast. And so we re, we moved our iTunes podcast to the education, uh, category, which it is more educational. And so that's something that we wanted to do anyway. But if you if you just go on iTunes or SoundCloud, um, it, the Phil Craft Survival Podcast will pop up, or Modern Mindset 365, and they're doing really well. We're, we're we're I just did the Go Rig content. I'm doing one today on tactics when I get into work, and then um, we have uh, Phil Heath, a professional bodybuilder, uh, who's going to talk about mindset uh, next week. Um, so yeah, it's it. You guys can check them out uh, either on iTunes or SoundCloud. Also, PhilCraftSurvival.com is our website, and then our social media is all PhilCraft Survival. It's PhilCraft Survival. Uh, we also have a PhilCraft Mobility on Instagram, um, and then uh, if if when in doubt, just Google it out, and you'll you'll find all of our channels. Yeah, I love your guys' uh, message and your guys' social media. It's great. I get a lot of motivation from, um, you know, seeing your posts pop up. Um, and I, I love I love the way you talk about a lot of the special operations and, and um, some, a lot of the things you've been through and, and buddies you've been with. I, I just draw a ton of motivation from your social media. It's great to follow. And then you're on your, your, your own journey and your own quest to take up bow hunting, right? I've been seeing you've been practicing and um, been out on a couple hunts now. Yeah, I, I uh, got a mule deer tag in uh, Williamson, or just in Arizona, period, and spent a lot of time in glass and, and finding them from far ridge lines. But if anybody's archery hunted um, uh, mule deer in Arizona, it's one of the most challenging hunts, I think, uh, in the United States. It's It's very difficult because in Arizona, unlike, you know, I grew up hunting whitetail 
in North Carolina where it's really easy because you could have a deer stand. Um, you just sit your deer stand, drink a beer, and then uh, there's going to be a deer that's going to come along. But in Arizona, wide open plains, it's been difficult. So I spotted a few, uh, started stalking on a couple, but just never been successful. The winds change, have winds have shifted. I probably just need some uh, more experience and maybe we'll link up and you could teach me some, uh, some, some tactics on, uh, on hunting mule deer out here. Oh, I'd love to. Yeah, that that Western hunting, it's so addictive. When you get to take the hunt to the animal, that it uh, it just takes so much uh, skill and, and uh, su- such a great, great uh, game plan to be able to get in and then and then focus, too, is being able to focus all your efforts. And you wouldn't think it's that hard to move slowly or quietly, but it is. It takes every every muscle in your body to be able to creep in but that's great mike you're getting some great experience out there and experience is the the best teacher and you're right that that arizona landscape is extremely difficult to hunt but yeah i'd love to connect with you next time i'm down there i'll shoot you a message i like to come down there every every january and soak in some of your sunshine and then challenge myself in that that open desert uh habitat and um yeah, I, I just absolutely love it. I'm glad you found a love for mule deer. Mule deer are my uh, my my absolute favorite species to hunt. I all, I love all different species and all different habitats, and I think they improve your skills in different way. But that that the mule deer in open country is sure a special one to chase and one of my favorites. So yeah, good for you. And I see you're you're practicing with that bow and getting proficient. So just a matter of time, man. But uh, that's really cool. I'll make sure to shoot you a message next time I'm down there. Well, I appreciate it. I, I'm, you know, like the two two SAS. Their motto is "Who dares wins." So I, I think just you have to stay in it. And you have to have the mindset uh, just not to not to quit. And so, yeah, I'll just keep on training and and look forward to linking up with you. Yeah, man. Um, the hunt I just had down there went. Um, I was hunting coos deer, which I also think is one of the toughest animals to hunt with a bow. And um, they're they're a small species. They blend in really well. They've got this gray coat. Uh, so you just have to uh, absolutely live and die behind your glass, picking country apart. And right now they're rutting down in in Arizona. The January is the rut. Uh, but I just had an incredible hunt down there and kept pushing hard, kept pushing for opportunities, trying to make something happen. And it's amazing how when you keep putting the effort, it, it comes together in the end. So, you know, I was down to my final one or two days that I could take. I had to make it back for my daughter's birthday party and down to my final day or two. And, and there it is. I got the opportunity. It seized the moment and, and put a perfect shot on a nice mature coos buck. But, um, yeah, I, just, oh, I, I love saw it on your Instagram. It's a it's a beautiful animal. It's beautiful. Yeah, thanks so much. Yeah, it's so fun. Just such a great adventure. Um, I, I, I just love Arizona and where you're at. You're in such a, a mecca, a great place to explore and, and improve your skills. But it's awesome you found it. But you, you have so much going on, Mike. I really enjoy following you. Uh, make sure to check out his podcasts and social media and things. And, Mike, I really appreciate you taking the time and being on. No, thanks, Brian. Thanks thanks to you guys at uh... – Eastman's elevated in uh, the podcast, the, the the journal staff, and you guys have been great. I appreciate what you guys are doing for the community. Uh, if there's anything I could do at any time, just let me know. And, and thanks for having me on. Yeah, you've been doing some great writing for us too, and so make sure to be on the lookout for uh, Mike's articles coming out uh, in the Eastman's Hunting Journal. So thanks again, Mike. We'll talk to you soon. Yep. Take care, Brian. Okay. All right, guys. That's a wrap. Um, yeah, just a great conversation with Mike. Uh, like I say, he's so 
so intelligent and articulate, and I just love the the mental toughness those guys get through special forces or through military. They really train those guys to be successful in life, and and uh, Mike is that guy that's that's really transposed everything he's learned from from military into the private sector, into his businesses, and and um, I I just really like. Uh, hanging out and talking with guys like that, and I I get a lot of motivation from from the conversations we have, and and also information, you know, about vehicles and and being prepared. And he he's just got a great approach to life, and I I think uh, these are the guys that we can learn from. And uh, so thanks again to to for uh, Mike. To, Gosh, if I spit the words out here on the ending, thanks a bunch to Mike for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. So um, he's just a great guy, too, and and uh, always works with my schedule. You know, sometimes these podcast guests, it can be tough to get lined up on the right day and the right time. And he, he's so busy, but he, he makes himself available, which um, which I really appreciate. Sponsor for today's show is Six Hour Optics. Uh, again, I just think uh, best rangefinders on the market. They have rangefinding binos they're coming out with this year that'll do angles and powerful laser and uh, uh, great optics. And so um, I'm really excited to try that out. Uh, they also have their their binos and then their spotting scopes. They're just making uh, great high-end products for a mid-range price. So uh, make sure to check them out, guys. And with that, yeah, finished up with show season. Uh, again, just working hard. Um, it's nice to have these hunts coming up, this New Zealand and this bear hunt. And then um, right after that, I think I'm going to try to sneak back to Hawaii and get over there with um, my buddies and hunt the Axis rut. I'm just so fortunate even saying that you just uh, you feel spoiled um, all the hunts that I that I get to go on nowadays uh, but it's just finding these these blue collar hunts these hunts that you can do for under a thousand bucks or under two thousand bucks and and take care of all the lo- logistics and do you know a self-guided do-it-yourself hunt in a different place on planet earth I just think that's so cool that we have that opportunity to be able to do that and I love being able to go to the western states being able to hunt black bears and then you know I've been able to make some really good friends that I can go to Hawaii and stay with them and do it on the cheap and so that's really fun um so yeah I'm just um I'm living a a blessed life that's for sure I'm I'm pretty fortunate um work hard and play hard and keep preparing towards my goals but I I definitely don't take it for granted I just uh I love being out there and I love challenging myself and I I I love being ready for that challenge and so um that's what I'm doing now it's been a, a cold February here but um yeah making sure I'm I'm shooting at least once a day if not twice a day and um Gosh, I really got that that bow and and my backup bow. It's the um oh the the Matthews Triax um is last year's bow. It's my backup bow, and then the Matthews Vertex um is really shooting good. Man, I'm just pumped. I uh, just can't wait for 2019 and just trying to do all the little things and then you know each and every day going through my visualizations of just um you know animals that I'm hunting and keeping my calm during the shot and and really executing my my best arrow. Um, I think those really help. And also through these visualizations, I'm trying to, uh, I'm trying to, 
you know, I know I'm going to have hardships. I know I'm going to have challenges. I know the hiking's going to get tough. I know I'm going to see hunting pressure. I know I'm going to see all these things. And so I try to prepare myself for them, you know, in my mind, just visualizing, you know, 10 minutes a day as I, I think over my shot sequence. And then I think over struggles I'm going to have and overcoming them. I, I try to think of bad weather and uh, how I'm going to ride out storms. And so I just try to prepare myself for them. So when I get there on the hunt, it feels familiar. It feels like I've been there before. So um, I really do a lot with visualizations. I don't know if I've ever talked about it on the podcast, but I do think it's a major part of, of success. But, you know, you make these goals that are in the future of harvesting these trophy animals. And then it's about what you can do day in, day out to, to get better and to work hard towards those goals to to have yourself best prepared for them. So uh, that's what I'm doing. It's just uh, living the lifestyle of um, being a being an adventure bow hunter. Um I absolutely love it. And then um, mix and matching, you know, not mixing and matching, but but also, you know, trying to take care of my responsibilities and and, uh, be the best family guy I can be. It is a it is a balanced life. You can't have one without the other. You have to have things going right in your life, you know, financially and and, uh, right in your life with your family and at work to be able to go on these hunts and truly enjoy them. So I'm just really fortunate that I have everything in line and, and have created this life for myself. So what am I doing bragging here? It's the end of the podcast, but, uh, I just appreciate all the support guys. And I appreciate being on this journey and being able to share it with you guys and hopefully give you some motivation or give you some insight or some, some information to, to make your guys's life and your guys's hunting more successful. And the, the only way I know how to get anywhere in life is through hard work, discipline, and dedication. And so that's what I try to share with you guys is, is um you know what I'm doing to get better what I'm doing to accomplish my goals because I'm just not I I'm not a lucky guy I, you know I I don't have you know huge bank account behind me like I'm just a working class guy that that has a passion for western bow hunting and wants to be as good as I can be with it and so my only answer is is to work hard and and to expect to have a tougher road than everybody else put in that hard work and to find success and so I just try to try to share that with you guys on the podcast but uh great episode with Mike Glover. I appreciate all the support. Thanks a bunch you guys for those iTunes reviews. They really helped me. Thanks a bunch for the the Instagram, the engagement. Um I've tried to been really I've tried to to be better on Instagram, making sure I'm I'm uh, making a handful of posts a week and getting on and, and engaging back and forth and then also making sure that I flip through and, and uh, see your guys' posts and, and uh, what you guys are up to and try to engage in those as well. So, um, yeah, that's the main platform that I'm I'm spending my time on Instagram. I, I, I try to look and answer questions on the Facebook, Facebook and engage on there, but – and it's also this that's a balance in life too that that screen time and so I try to just make the time for it but um, you know I don't want to be spending three hours a day on my phone and so <coughs> excuse me I make time for it get on there handle my business get off continue to be productive or work hard towards my goals so um, yeah it's uh, it's so good right now guys um, just having fun and can't wait for this season so uh, thanks for all the support and uh, check in with you next week